I'm guessing the people responsible for putting our lectionary readings together were not aware that today would be my last day with St. Peter's. It was a pleasant surprise when I discovered that today's Gospel from John records a portion of what is commonly referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse. And the setting for Jesus' farewell discourse takes place after the conclusion of the Last Supper. And with his disciples gathered around him, Jesus lets them know that his ministry is drawing to a close. While contemplating that his time with them was coming to an end, Jesus focused on things he felt were most important. Now the farewell discourse presented by Jesus follows a literary form that was common in the ancient world. And there are numerous examples of farewell discourses within scripture where both women and men give a final speech to those that are close to them. And just a few examples found in scripture are from Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Tobit, Noah, Abraham, Rebekah, and Isaac. Now each of these accounts are diverse, yet biblical scholars have noted that farewell discourses contain four common elements. One thing I found troubling about today being my last sermon is that each farewell discourse in Scripture was recorded because of the person's impending death. (laughs) So hopefully I'm not reading too much in today's, today's text. But the four common elements noted by scholars begin with individuals contemplating their impending death. Yet they still offer comfort in the face of grief. Many of them attempt to predict what will take place after they are gone. Some offer guidance to those who will remain in their absence. And they often conclude with a prayer for those to whom they have shared their lives with. Now, researching the patterns of farewell discourses within Scripture helped me develop a framework for what I planned to speak about today, but it doesn't make it any easier. I have never been a fan of people who give four-point sermons, but today I will try to follow a similar pattern of farewell discourses found in Scripture. And in today's four-point sermon, I will try to offer comfort in the place of grief, much of that grief being my own. I'll try to predict what will take place after I'm gone, and hopefully offer some guidance to those I have shared my life with over the last two years. And lastly, conclude with a prayer. Early on when Julie and I were dating, I recognized how very special our relationship was and realized that marriage was a real possibility in our future. I was a seminary student at the time, and so I had to inform her that after completing my studies, I would be moving back home to Arkansas. And as I have said before, not every San Francisco girl is jumping at the opportunity to marry a priest and move to Arkansas. But somehow I convinced her otherwise. But myself, having been raised here, I will always consider Arkansas to be my home. But at the time, Julie had never lived outside of the Bay Area. So naturally, there was a certain fear of the unknown accompanying our move across the country. Julie had heard about people like Opgenard and some of these cultural stereotypes in the South, but she also feared the stereotypes of becoming a clergy spouse. And so six months before we moved, I informed Julie that it would be helpful if she started taking banjo lessons and brush up on memorizing Bible verses. <laughs> 
But as usual, Julie did not find my comments helpful nor funny. But to be honest, we didn't know what to expect when coming here to St. Peter's. But throughout our time in Arkansas, we've experienced a community filled with the most loving, generous, inclusive, and courageous people that we have ever known. And after two years, Julie and I would both say that our time in Arkansas has been one of the best experiences in our lives, and that we are both leaving with heavy hearts. From the literal moment that I arrived, people from St. Peter's were at my house unloading the moving truck. Julie later arrived by plane, and instead of going to the house to go see our house for the first time, we went directly from the airport to a welcome party at Dinah and Danny Reed's house. Before our son Oliver was born, many of the ladies at St. Peter's threw Julie a baby shower, and we are reminded of that each night as our son sleeps in a crib that was given by members of this community. Many of you have watched Oliver grow up, and many of you have watched him for us when we were scrambling to find a babysitter. One of the job perks here was having a pediatrician in the office next door. (laughs) Now, I could speak all day long about the hospitality that you all have extended to my family. It began from the moment that we arrived, and it has never stopped. And I can assure you that that will never be forgotten. Now, if I had to predict what I believe St. Peter's will look like after I'm gone, I can say with confidence that I believe the best is yet to come. And that is not just wishful thinking, or I'm not just saying it to be polite. I genuinely believe that. When I think of my replacement, Jerusalem Greer, I feel like John the Baptist when he said, The one who comes after me, I am not worthy to tie their sandals. That's because Jerusalem has a true calling to work with children and with youth and their families. And I know that her ministry here will reflect that. For the most part, I had no clue how to run a youth group. But during the process, I discovered that there are many wonderful youth that are a part of this church. And I always had a great time with them. My replacement, Jerusalem Greer, spent all day with me in the office on Friday. And I know that this fall... Several programs for youth will be reintroduced in a creative educational model encompassing children and youth of all ages. And I don't want to put too much pressure on her, but you will all soon discover how unbelievably talented and gifted that she is. Another reason that I know things will be just fine here is because you still have incredibly talented clergy and staff. Mary Helen, who is at her granddaughter's graduation and not with us today, is one of the kindest and most humble people that I have ever known. And Terry, our rector, is one of the most caring and pastoral priests that I have ever met. And her only fault is that she works too much. And she knows that. But that is because she cares for this community more than I can describe. Terry also knows that I am not the easiest of colleagues to work with. But she put up with me gracefully and at times provided me pastoral care when I needed it. And for her leadership and friendship, I will always be thankful. I will miss Kitson and her witty sense of humor and her ability to chase me down for credit card receipts and to keep all the bills and the lights paid here at St. Peter's. I know that I will dearly miss hearing Patty and the choir at St. Peter's. 
Patty and Wolf have the most musically talented family that I have ever met. I don't even know what half of the instruments are called that their son Andy plays on Sundays, but I know I will miss it. My mother was a church musician and choir director, and while I wasn't gifted with any abilities in music, I have a deep appreciation for those who share their gift with us each week. Now, if I had any guidance for this community as I leave, it would simply be to not take this place or the people who worship here for granted. That's because I genuinely believe that this is a church that embodies the good news of the gospel. There is a dominant message that is all too common in churches today, which tries to place limitations on who qualifies for God's grace and who doesn't. And it takes a lot of courage when surrounded by that dominant message to stand for what you know in your hearts to be true. And it takes a lot of humility and an awareness of our own shortcomings to proclaim that no one, for any reason, is excluded from God's grace. And that message is the very essence of the gospel. And it's a message that this church embodies and a message that this church lives. It's a message with the power to transform people's lives, and I have been fortunate to see that transformation take place in many people's lives here. Therefore, my parting advice would simply be to keep doing what you are doing, but in the process to cherish what a special community this is and to cherish the people who worship here with you. Now, if you were following my four-point sermon, I said that I would end with a prayer, and that time has come, so let us pray. Gracious God, Scripture tells us that for everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And it is with a heavy but generous heart that I offer you my thanksgivings. I give you thanks for the precious time that I have been given with this community, for the time spent with our youth and the countless ways in which they have allowed me to see you more clearly. I give you thanks for the grace and hospitality that has been extended to myself, to Julie, and to Oliver. I pray your wisdom and guidance to to accompany this community as they look towards the future with excitement and new possibilities. Empower them to be your gospel in the world as they continue to proclaim the love you have for all people and for a parish that has blessed me in ways that I will cherish for a lifetime. I pray your blessing upon this sacred space and all who are gathered here today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.